This is Machine Language, the podcast hosted by Manufacturing Automation Magazine. You've tuned in to hear conversations with industry experts on the latest industrial automation technologies and trends in Canada's manufacturing sector. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Machine Language. I'm your host, Christina Urquhart, editor of Manufacturing Automation Magazine. Industrial mobile robots are making things easier to move in the manufacturing and logistics spaces, and they're doing it quickly. ARC Advisory Group says that autonomous mobile robots in particular are one of the fastest growing markets it has ever researched. That's why, for the past several years, the Association for Advancing Automation's Robotics Standards Development Committee has been working on a new ANSI standard for mobile robot safety. R1508 Part 1, a Type C standard, debuted earlier this year and features technical requirements for the design and manufacture of industrial mobile robots. A3 will be publishing more detailed requirements for integrators and users in R1508 Parts 2 and 3, which are still to come. I'm here with Melanie Wise, CEO of Fetch Robotics, a company that manufactures collaborative autonomous mobile robot solutions for warehousing and logistics. She's been developing hardware for robots for the past 19 years, and under her leadership, Fetch won the Modex Innovation Award for the materials handling industry. She was named a technology innovator under age 35 by MIT Technology Review in 2015, and in 2017, Business Insider named her as one of eight CEOs changing the way we work. Melanie also sat on A3's Standards Committee for R1508. She's with us today to talk about the key features of the new standard, what it means for autonomous mobile robot manufacturers, and what it means for end users. Thank you for joining us, Melanie. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. So I wanted to talk about autonomous mobile robots and the fact that their use is growing. What are some of the applications that are most suitable for these robots? I think when you look at autonomous mobile robots, it's really about workflows in the environment that are repeatable kind of material movement tasks, but may need some flexibility where you can't control the congestion, the facility, or you need to assign the delivery points of the robot dynamically. A great example of this when you look in like the manufacturing use cases is on-demand or just-in-time delivery to workstations. Um, So one of the things that you can have is you can have a whole bunch of assembly cells where people are doing assembly tasks And their material that they are assembling with is kind of running down as they're assembling these parts. But the rate at which those parts are running down by the assembly is really based on how fast each person does their assembly. And so you can set up, you know, a dynamic call button where a person just presses a button or scans a barcode at their desk to say what parts they need. And a robot can go pick up a cart and bring a cart directly to their desk with the materials that they need, um, making it super easy and fast to dynamically allocate robots and parts to exactly where you need it when you need it. In the case of like a e-commerce application, you know, a lot of it is about assisting people to do picking. And so one of the things that robots do in those cases is, is you have a WMS that's kind of allocating orders, you know, people order things online, and then orders are then optimized and then given out to the robots, and they meet pickers at locations. So pickers don't have to do a lot of walking, 
and the picker just picks the item directly off the shelf near where the robot is and puts it on the robot and then goes finds the next robot that's available that needs help to get items off the shelf and onto the robot. In terms of fetch robotics solutions, can you maybe walk us through a little bit about what your your product line is? Fetch offers uh, three sizes of robots. So we offer a 100 kilogram payload, a 500 kilogram payload, and a 1500 kilogram payload, which allows us to move everything from pieces to pallets. And on top of those robots, we put modules for doing different tasks. In our Freight 100, we have a cart connect module that allows uh, the robot to pick up and move carts within the facility. We have a, a shelf module that allows us to put totes and bins as needed on the robot. And we also have a roller top module that allows us to basically take totes off of conveyor and put totes onto conveyor. And that that's for our, our smallest platform. On our bigger platforms, we have uh, accessories that allow us to pick up pallets and put down pallets and to move carts around. You know, when you look at the Freight 100, which was the first product that we built and the accessories that we built on top of that platform, we're now building many of the accessories on the bigger platforms because basically we're doing the same types of movements as we did on the smaller robots. It's just everything's bigger. You sat on the Robotic Industries Association's committee for uh, developing a new safety standard for mobile robots. And I wanted to talk a bit about safety today. So to start, when it comes to safety, what features are usually already built into an AMR? When you look at AMRs, a lot of the safety is done through reacting directly to the sensor input. So a lot of the safety sensor, like a lot of the safety systems on these robots are sensor centric. So they have uh, lasers or LIDAR or 3D cameras or other types of sensing that allows them immediately sense and then react to maybe a person that gets too close to the, the AMR or something like that. And a lot of the, the safety systems that you see on these vehicles happen at a very low level. And I, I think that this is something that a lot of people don't know about because when they look at autonomous cars, you know, a lot of companies are taking different approaches in that market and it's not as heavily regulated as the uh, industrial markets right now. And so they typically have the safety at a higher autonomy level sometimes than you would in some of the platforms that we have in industrial applications because the industrial uh, machinery market is more heavily regulated than the automotive industry from some perspectives for safety. Since AMRs move around where there are people, are there misconceptions among workers about the safety of these vehicles? I would say one of the things that we're seeing is that many workers are almost too trusting and too casual around the robots. One of the things that we see sometimes is uh, people are looking at their cell phones while walking around a facility and they might actually step in into a robot because they have so much trust in the technology, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a good example. Was there like a particular incident or something that had been happening that led to the creation of this new safety standard? So there wasn't a particular incident that led to the creation of the standard. Really what 
the pull was from the customer community who were saying, look, I really like this technology. I want to deploy it. But one of the challenges I have is without a safety standard, it's very hard for me to say as an implementer or as a company that's deployed this technology that I've done everything right to ensure worker safety. And what the standard does is it puts a burden on the manufacturer to basically, in some ways, prove, verify, and validate that their machinery is safe. But it also gives the customer or the end user a way of saying, I have bought something that they say is safe, and I have followed all the procedures in my facility to make it safe, which is important from a, you know, liability standpoint, you know, because if you deploy something at this point, now that a manufacturer has a way of saying that they're in compliance, if you deploy something by someone who doesn't say they have compliance, then you could be considered grossly negligent. There's protections that come with, you know, having this standard, being able to point to it and say, look, this is the best practice of the industry. I followed the best practice and I did everything I could within you know, reason, obviously, to ensure workplace safety. So what does the safety standard mean for the AMR industry? One of the biggest things that it means is it somewhat levels the playing field from a overall deployment and product capability standpoint. One of the things that we were starting to see in the industry is there were entrants into the market who were being fast and loose with safety. And when you're fast and loose with safety, you, you can move faster, you can do things that you, know, you really shouldn't be doing, but customers don't know any better. And so now it kind of levels the playing field saying, look, you, know, you, you can build your product, but you have to make sure it's safe. And that was one of the things that we were running into with some customers. Customers would say, well, company Z can do this thing. And sometimes Fetch had to say whether or not company Z is doing that thing based on what we consider safe practices and what we know will be considered a safe practice, we're not willing to do that. And now Fetch has a document that we can point at that says, look, the standard says that that's not a safe practice. And that was one of the challenges that we ran into for a while as a manufacturer is we saw competitors doing things in the market that we knew were not safe practices and we weren't willing to do them. And customers were like, well, then we're not going to buy your product. And now we don't suffer from some of that disadvantage. So I thought maybe you could walk us through some of the key parts of the R1508 standard. And you know, you mentioned that it protects manufacturers. How does it protect workers? So right now, R1508, we've released part one. So there's two more parts after that. The first one is basically guidelines for manufacturing and ensuring that the device meets a performance level or a safety level. But one of the things that it puts in that part is it puts a requirement on manufacturers to provide a whole bunch of documentation for the end user. 
And that's the worker in many cases as well, because we have to provide training material information. We have to provide information for how to safely use the robot, but also how to mark out areas in the facility to alert workers that it's operating in their environment, things like that, signage, uh, markings on the floor. These are all things that you know make the environment more safe. It also gives guidelines uh, for what kind of lighting or uh, signage we have to use. You know, one of the things that if you look at safety standards are kind of built up in like general to specific. So the R1508 standard is a C type standard, which is a very specific standard, but it draws from a very general standard that says things like you have to use symbology in addition to the written word for communicating what could happen like a pinch point you know when when our roller top robot drives up to a piece of conveyor if you're standing in between it the robot should stop but if you like reach in you know standing far away from the robot and try and reach in and trick the robot or whatever you know there's also signage everywhere that says this is dangerous don't put your hand here mm-hmm. things like that you know uh so i i think that if you if you look at it Although the part one is really for the manufacturer, it creates requirements for the manufacturer for educating, informing, and training the the user of the robot for how to behave safely with it. So you had mentioned earlier the modules that you can put on top of an AMR. What specifically does this standard do for those attachments or modules? Yeah, so this standard is very unique in that light, actually. So if you look at the standards, other standards previously, they don't put, they don't specifically call out requirements for manufacturers of accessories. As part of this standard, if you make an accessory for a mobile robot, you are responsible now for the safety of the whole platform. So you, in many ways, become a manufacturer of AMRs. Traditionally, when you look at like industrial robot arms, the arm and the end effector or the gripper were considered separate parts. And the person who put them together was responsible for creating a safe system. Now, with the new AMR standard, if you have an AMR and you put a top on it and you manufacture that top, you are now responsible for the safety of the whole thing which is a, a huge difference um, in previous standards. Um, so it, it definitely puts new requirements and new burden on accessory manufacturers to be responsible for the whole system safety. So this has been in development for quite some time, I would imagine. What was the process like on the committee? It was definitely a long process. I think one of the big challenges for the committee is it had a lot of different contributors from different viewpoints. Because one of the things that's unique about this standard as well is it allows for you to put industrial robot arms onto the AMRs. And so if you looked at it, the committee was a cohort of sensor manufacturers, integrators, robot arm manufacturers, AMR manufacturers, And one of the challenges that we had when we started with this standard was there was a whole group of people who were on the standards committee who didn't know much about how AMR technology worked. 
And so the first year of this standard was a lot of education. You know, a lot of the AMR providers spent a lot of time sharing perspective and helping the other committee members really understand how the technology worked and why some of the practices for industrial robot arms don't work for AMRs and how we could build a standard that was more appropriate for AMRs. You know, and it was a very iterative process. And I think one of the other challenges that we had is the standard covers a lot of ground. And so for the first three years, we followed one kind of organizational track for how we would build the standard. And in the last year, we really changed a lot of that to make it more readable and more useful for the different people who would be reading the standard and organized it a little bit more appropriately for the different users, as opposed to making it more like a standard ease thing, where if you knew about standards, you knew how to read the standard. We made it more for people who had less standards knowledge and were more going to be doing the practical application of the standard. That's a great idea. Standards can be really intimidating. So, you know, you've mentioned the work the vendor or the manufacturer of the AMR or the components needs to go to. What about the client that ultimately gets the the system? And I'm talking specifically about manufacturers. You know, is there anything that they really have to do to comply? Right now, the committee is now working on parts two and three of the standard. Part two is for integrators. Part three is for the end user or the customer. But in part one, we kind of uh, make it clear what a lot of the things are that the end user might have to do. And one of the big things that the end user has to do is perform a risk assessment. And manufacturers of AMRs are required to provide information for how to perform that risk assessment. So when you look at in a manufacturing facility today, when you deploy a new piece of material handling equipment, like a forklift or a new piece of machinery, to install that machinery, you need to do a risk assessment. You go around and you say, I've addressed these risks. I've put up signage. I've put up barriers or guards if needed. I've installed the, the machinery to the manufacturer specification, things like that. And the process is very similar for AMRs. The biggest difference I would say is that the risk assessment has to be done across any part of the facility that the robot's going to operate in. Whereas typically when you install machinery, you're only looking at the area that the machinery is installed. But in the case of AMRs, the whole facility is where they're going to operate in many cases because they can drive anywhere. You know, what happens if a vendor doesn't comply with this new standard? Uh, I would say that there's no one forcing them to do it except for the customer. So it's really up to the customer to choose either go with a vendor that is compliant or not. And it really comes down to the end user's risk tolerance. By choosing a vendor that is not in conformance or with this standard, they risk being grossly negligent. You know, you started Fetch seven years ago. Beyond this new safety standard, which is obviously a very big thing, I mean, how, how have you seen the AMR space change over those seven years? It didn't really exist when I started, <laughs> um, uh, so it's changed a lot. I mean, one of the things that was very interesting early on is, you know, there were AGVs, and one of the things that you would have seen at one of our first trade shows is a lot of people would come to our booth and be like, so where are you hiding the reflectors or the magnetic tape? 
you know, or, or the guide path. And we'd have to explain, no, there's no guide path. There's no reflectors. The robot senses the environment. And, and I would say that a lot of things have changed from a perspective of cloud acceptance. You know, Fetch deploys all of our AMRs by attaching to the cloud instead of an on-premise server. And early on in manufacturing, a lot of people were very reticent about that. But today we have a lot of customers around the world and they're all connected to cloud instances. Uh, there's no on-premise servers, things like that. But I, I would say that the industry has really changed because in general, the customer is now more educated. You know, even four years ago, three years ago, there still wasn't broad understanding of the technology, its capabilities, and how safety even worked with regards to these devices. And then I would say that customers are really catching up, becoming more educated, becoming more savvy about the technology, what to look for, what to ask for, things like that. Having seen it come so far, what do you think is coming next? I mean, that's a really hard question. And typically any kind of prediction is wrong the minute it comes out of my mouth. But I would say that the thing that we're going to see in the next three to five years is more collaborative or, I guess, interactive applications of AMRs with other fixed automation systems. Today, a lot of the AMRs are kind of doing their own thing and as an isolated system. They're not as interactive with other fixed automation as, as I think a lot of people would like. And, you know, Fetch is starting to do a lot of that. We've partnered with companies like SICK to do integration with their technology out of the box so that you can plug in a sensor to drive the robots to do things. I think that's one of the things that we're going to see a lot more of is kind of fully integrated sensor-driven workflows or MES-driven workflows with the robots in the next three to five years. Getting rid of those kind of islands of automation, I guess. Yeah. People have their mobile robots set up, but they're not necessarily part of the whole production chain. Yeah, definitely. And, and thanks for the islands of automation, because that's definitely a thing that we hear a lot of. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. And it was great to hear from you. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to Melanie Wise, CEO of Fetch Robotics. To learn more about Melanie's work at Fetch, visit fetchrobotics.com. For more information on the R1508 standard, visit automate.org. As for us, you can find more episodes of Machine Language online at automationmag.com podcasts, or join the conversation on Twitter at automationmag, and on LinkedIn by searching Manufacturing Automation. I'm Christina Urquhart, and that's it for today's episode of Machine Language. Thanks for tuning in.